Hey guys, Joel here and wanted to talk to you real quick about a slightly more practical subject. We'll try and, uh, and keep these somewhat balanced between uh, some of the motivation and uh, philosophy and then some of the practical stuff. So today, I wanted to chat with you a little bit about water and, uh, and kind of my thoughts on water, water storage, all that kind of stuff. So I hear a lot of people talking about having a big store of water, you know, getting some 500 or a couple of 250 gallon uh, water storage containers and having water in them. And if you live in a place where water is difficult to come by, then um, yeah, having some kind of a cistern or a cistern type of setup, a water catchment on your property in your home um, can be really important. But if you think that you're gonna take a water hose and draw water out of the ground and fill up a, you know, 500 gallons worth of storage water and that's gonna last you very long, um, you're probably going to be really mistaken. So here's my recommendation. While I'm not saying don't have water catchment and water storage, those things can be really useful. In my opinion, it's far more useful to have the ability to quickly filter water that you can use. So here's what I like to do. I like to have um, a couple of the paper water filters, the, the pump kind of water filters that you use in backpacks and things like that. Um, the paper ones are nice because they're lightweight and they're fairly effective. Um, also, I like to have a couple of the ceramic ones that I put in a vehicle kind of a kit, right? So that you can, if you're in a vehicle and you see water, you can stop and you can filter your water uh, using that water filter and produce good water. So in, bo in both of those situations, you want some kind of a container to put your water in. Uh, so obviously for backpacks, something like Nalgene bottles, canteens, something that'll hold one or two quarts of water and having the ability to carry up to like five quarts of water in a backpack, uh, up to like five to 10 gallons of water in a vehicle, right? So I like to get uh, those, um, there's different colors, but kind of the military version of the five gallon water containers. They look a lot like the fuel containers, but they're typically plastic um, and they're designed for water. So the army has tan ones, uh, green, like olive green ones, and you can also find them in blue. I tend toward liking the blue ones uh, because I have a lot of different cans that look similar to that and I don't want anything getting confused. So my green ones are for diesel, my red ones are for gasoline, and my blue ones are for water. So that's kind of how I keep everything organized. But so you have some water containers, but my water containers are not for storing long-term water. They're for putting the water that I filter in each day or every couple of days as I'm going, right? So remember when it comes to like washing and cooking and drinking, the average person goes through at least a gallon of water a day and you should probably be going through two gallons a day if you're doing a lot of strenuous activity, meaning you should be actually drinking a gallon a day and then there's the other gallon is for washing and cooking and all of that kind of stuff. So my recommendation is plan two gallons of water per day per person. Two gallons per day per person. If you are not planning that, then you are going to be dehydrated and that can be a really bad thing. So um, so we have our movement uh, water taken care of with the, what, the paper ones in a backpack, the ceramic filters in a uh, car, and then I use a Berkey water filter. Highly recommend them. There's a couple other brands and whatever. The big thing is which filters do you use? Um, make sure that you get the best, highest quality filters that you can get. 
do not chimp out on your filters. So I like the black Berkey water filters. They are extremely effective. They have a huge capacity. I think each filter does something like six to 10,000 gallons of water per filter. Um, and they filter out almost everything. Now there are a few things they don't filter out and you need to be aware of that. Uh, if you live in a place where fluoride in your water is a concern to you, um, the black filters do not filter fluoride, right? So be aware of that. And um, they do have a fluoride filter, but the fluoride filter puts, guess what? Aluminum in the water. So if you want to run a filter system that filters out like city water, so the treated water that has fluoride, you don't want the fluoride, but you also don't want the aluminum, then you need a two Berkey system. You have one Berkey system that has the filters and then the fluoride filters attached to the bottoms. And you've, you run your water through that filter and then you take it from that filter and run it into a second Berkey with just the black Berkey water filters. And that will filter out the aluminum, okay? so. Make sure you do your research, know your filters, know what they filter and what they do not filter, and make smart decisions. But having good filters, um, I've, I've known missionary friends who used big Berkeys and the very similar Berkey brands uh, or Berkey sizes when they were overseas in like places like the Philippines and things like that. They would literally pour water from mud puddles into the Berkey and get fresh, clean water. Now, if you're doing really dirty water like that, uh, you're gonna need to clean your filters more frequently. Um, they still filter the same amount of, of water, you just have to clean them. So you kind of take them out and you use like a little green scratchy pad and, uh, and you clean them and then do a light rinse off on them to get the muck off um, and then you can start using them again. Okay, it just kind of clogs up the pores so you have to do a light little scratch with the green scratchy pads. And they typically come with a green scratchy pad in each box of two filters, all right? So having those things, being able to filter your water and then having a good source of raw water, um, anything pretty much but raw sewage. So like where we live, we have an artesian well um, and I'm in Florida, so we get rain a lot. So I have an artesian well that's like literally 50 yards away. I can walk out with a couple of five gallon buckets. I can fill up uh, the buckets at the artesian well and it's, essentially I just have sitting water there all the time, even when it's dry. And, uh, and I dip in, I bring my five gallon buckets, I pour them in my Berkey, voila, I can drink, right? Now I use water catchment um, for my dogs because I have a lot of dogs. If you have livestock, having some kind of water tanks for your livestock uh, can be a good idea. And you wanna base that amount of catchment off of uh, how often you get rain. So how often are you gonna get a replenishment of your uh, water supply for your animals and what's your alternative if for some reason you don't. All right, so that's my thoughts on water, trying to keep these short. Uh, if you have other topics you'd like to hear, let me know in the comments. Hey guys, Joel here, and today wanted to talk to you a little bit about the world stage and having a generally good idea of what's going on in the world. So there are some really good resources for this uh, if you don't have a lot of time. Uh, one of the guys that I listen to that he kind of does a lot of his own research and passes that on um, is a guy, I, th I think he has a YouTube channel, but I follow him on Patreon and it's uh, Viking Preparedness. Uh, the guy's name is Pastor Joe Fox and uh, he's not real preachy, so don't worry about that if that's a concern to you. And, um, and he kind of covers some stuff 
Uh, he's been giving some focus to the Russia-Ukraine thing lately. If you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, that's a very good example of why it's important to know what's going on. Um, in a nutshell, the U.S. is at least verbally backing Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine are kind of like rah rah rahing at each other again. And there is, while it's vague and it's it's somewhat, you know, um, it's probably a long shot, um, but there is a chance that something kicks off there and the U.S. actually comes and puts troops in or near Ukraine and we actually have a direct U.S.-Russia conflict. Uh, I don't know why, but the Democrats have had it out for Russia uh, since even before the Trump uh, presidency. Um, so who knows what will happen there, but it's a possibility, right? And we need to be familiar with that. One of the things Pastor Joe Fox uh, highly recommends, and I have taken that advice, is you need a world map and you need to be generally familiar or able to quickly become familiar with what certain places in the world look like and where certain strategic places in the world are. So seas, oceans, port capabilities, uh, straits and limitations in supply chains, and then where are certain of these nations? So when people say, hey, this is going on, or you hear in the news that such and such is happening in this part of the world, you can go and look on a map and go, oh, okay, I can see what's going on there. Ukraine, for some reason, I thought Ukraine was on the eastern side of Russia. It's not. It's on the western side of Russia, basically right up against Europe. So if Russia, if Russia goes into Ukraine and there's a big conflict there, some of the surrounding nations around Ukraine may feel obligated to get involved in that. And some of those nations are or might be NATO nations, which the U.S. is part of NATO. And we have an agreement to help each other out. So see how that can quickly cascade into being an actual situation, right? And some, not all, the vast majority of your preps should just be basic generalized preps for things like hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, um, and general unrest, things like, oh, I don't know, a fake pandemic that they shut the whole country down for and nobody gets to work for six weeks to six months uh, or even a year. I know some of you guys, depending on where you live, are still in lockdown, move to a place that's not stupid and you won't have that problem like Florida here. But there are you know lots of different things whether it's political whether it is um you know actual real world situations that can cause problems but just being generally aware of the world stage is a really good idea uh so i will put in the show notes here it's not actually a show so it's just be in the comments of this post um i will put uh two references because uh, I can't think of the exact names and I don't want to butcher them. Um, but one is basically uh, they recommend that you do what they call an area study, being familiar with your immediate area. And then they have like a, um, a daily or a weekly update that gives kind of a, a quick snapshot of the world and, and any kind of hot spots and things like that going on. And then another one is a little bit more politically based on the conservative side, um, but they have a... Um, one that they get way more into the weeds uh, because based on this guy's experience, um, a lot of times people have no idea how things like, oh, I don't know, the batteries that go on the electric cars that we use are made in these countries and how does uh, this shortage in this place in Africa affect uh, this shortage in this place in China affect how we get our electric cars? for instance, right? And how that affects markets, how that affects a lot of other things. So he gets into a lot of that. He's very uh, knowledgeable in kind of the second, third, and fourth order effects 
of how things go. And if you don't know what that means, uh, that basically means every decision you make, uh, kind of the unintended consequences of like laws and things like that is a good place. A lot of people understand that, right? They pass a law that says, oh, we should do this. And then that law, that new thing that they did is used in a bunch of different areas that they never intended for it to be used in, right? And it's like, oops, we didn't think about that. Those are second and third order effects. And so the farther it gets from the point, the more you go second, third, fourth order effects, there, there's not like, it's just this idea, this concept, right? It's things happen based on the decisions that we make at a low level that sometimes have big effects on the big level. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of how things on the uh, world stage affect those things. And we need to be aware of how things in a local manner affect those things. Generally, the farther you get from a localized problem, the less it's recognized and noticeable, right? And that's generally a good thing, but it's still a good idea to be aware. So I would encourage you be aware, have the ability to quickly become aware of world events and um, do not obsess about it. I don't like obsessing about things that are far away and probably not gonna happen, but it's a good idea to have a general awareness and a general idea so that you can kind of forecast and foresee things coming a little bit farther away than your average person. Hey guys, Joel here, and today I wanted to chat with you for just a second about defending your home from a mob. So there are lots of different ways that this topic and this possibility are brought up uh, based on different people. But if you live in a city or a suburb, especially in a place that was uh, affected by the riots last year, uh, or even may still be affected by the riots now, and I know there are places where that's still going on and it's just basically being ignored by the media, then um, this would be something that's a great concern to you. A lot of people are worried about this if there's some kind of a breakdown or a collapse and, um, and they have like gangs trying to come and take their stuff, right? It could be like 12 people, it could be 20 people, it could be 100 people. Um, and they're like, hey, that person, you know, there's, there's still lights on in that house and there's not lights on anywhere else. What do they have? I wanna come take it, yeah. So that sort of thing. The biggest weakness, the biggest concern if you're defending a, a home, a, a structure, is fire. Fire is your biggest concern. So if you're worried about defending, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, where do I put the ballistic uh, protection and blah, blah, blah. And that is a concern. If you have a stick house and drywall, um, then bullets go right through those walls, right? So if somebody's shooting at you, um, your walls won't stop anything. Now, if you have a block house or things like that, especially if it's filled block, if it's not filled, it might stop a couple of rounds, but it's not gonna stop that many rounds, right? So if you have if you have concrete block, but it's, it's empty and hollow inside, um, two, three rounds in the same spot, and you've got a hole all the way through that wall. Okay, now that, you know, that, that it's good. It's way better than a stick house, but don't pretend like you can just hide there while somebody shoots at you with, with a machine gun if that's really your concern. But really, in most of these situations, it's not a firefight. It's not like the old West movies where, you know, the cowboys are, are inside the structure with the, you know, little cross cuts in the windows and the, the Indians are riding horses around shooting arrows at them and trying to climb in through the roof. The real concern is somebody taking a Molotov cocktail or some, you know, modified torch kind of a thing, throwing it on your roof and your shingles catching on fire and now you no longer have a structure to defend, right? You're forced out because of the fire. All they have to do is light the fire, step back and wait. 
and uh, and that is your biggest concern if you're trying to defend something. So everybody focuses on the guns and the magazines and the you know how do I do this and how do I do that, and that's not a bad thing. But they ignore the biggest glaring weakness they have, which is somebody burning your house down. So. If this is a concern for you, if you're in a place where you're like, hey, I want to be able to defend this structure and I want to be able to defend it against maybe an Antifa mob, um, some kind of a riot or, you know, people coming and, uh, and actually trying to take what I have during a whatever situation may occur, um, then fire is the biggest thing you need to defend against. So my recommendations are you want windows that you cannot throw things through easily. Right? So if somebody has a Molotov cocktail in a, in a bottle, that's fairly heavy. It has some density to it when it's full of a liquid. And so it would smash through your average window very easily. So if somebody runs up, throws it through a window, smash, and now that goes off inside your house. It's almost impossible to make the inside of your house uh, flame resistant. And so voila, now your house is on fire. Okay, so make your windows hurricane type windows. You can do that with either placing a laminate on them, make sure that the laminate somehow attaches to the uh, the frames of the windows so that it's not just the whole window breaks and it comes in as one piece, right? That's good if you're worried about shatter, but if you're actually trying to keep things from getting in in the first place, uh, actual hurricane windows with a laminate goes underneath the frame and then the frame really securely attaches to that window is your ideal situation. So you should be able to walk up to your window, smash it with a wood baseball bat five, six times and it should not, you know, the glass will break inside the laminate, but you should not be able to gain entry through that means, right? You should not be able to throw something at the window and it, and it go through the window and into the house. Now that doesn't mean that you can't shoot through, those typically are not bulletproof, so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about throwing something on fire into your house, because that's risk number one. Then you need to have a roof that is fire resistant, which means no shingles. If you have shingles or any kind of like tar paper rubberized roofing uh, that will catch fire, then you are at high risk for something being thrown on your roof. And if that happens, then your roof will catch on fire and your house will burn down. So metal roofing, things like that um, are extremely important in that situation. And then you wanna have some kind of exterior siding to include your doors, right? Because if you have a block house and you have wooden doors, they throw a Molotov cocktail at your front door, it will catch on fire and it will burn, okay? So you, you have, you know, metal doors with, they might have a wood core, you need to look into the fire ratings on those sorts of things. Um, I'm not here telling you I'm an expert on all these things, I'm just telling you these are things to think about, right? These are the weak points in your house. Um, so I have full-on commercial metal doors at the place that I go. If something, you know, starts to break down or there's a hurricane or any of that kind of stuff, I go to my facility, my training facility. It is concrete block uh, on the foundation three feet up. It is filled concrete block three feet up. It is a metal structure, a metal building that is insulated on the inside uh, that is fire coated so that it's somewhat resistant and, uh, and it's metal, so metal's hard. You can hold a fire against it for a little while if you use like gasoline or something like that, but you're not going to catch the metal itself on fire. And, uh, and it has a metal roof, and so it is metal and concrete. 
and metal and concrete are really hard to catch on fire. I also, in this particular structure, don't really have any windows, uh, which is a weakness in some degrees, uh, but not in others. I have cameras on the outside, but of course, if somebody's on the outside, they can throw ropes or lassos up or things like that, and yank those down and break them, uh, and you would lose sight of those. But we have multiple layers of security in that situation too, where I have dogs that would be outside. Uh, we can deal with things outside before they actually get to the structure. So be aware of fires, go through, evaluate your house based on that threat, and make sure that if mobs are a concern, you deal with the fire concern before you worry about gunfights. All right, so earlier this week, I talked to you guys a little bit about water and my recommendation on having the ability to filter water versus just trying to store water. I uh, wanted to make a few additional comments on that topic. So number one, this does not mean that I don't like the idea of storing water. It just means that storing water is a very short-term solution, right? So uh, if you live in a place where you frequently have power outages, uh, things like earthquakes or hurricanes. If you're in the south here in Florida where I live, hurricanes is the big one. Um, also, really, really bad tornadoes may have this effect, right? If you know big storms are coming, uh, having those liners that go into your bathtubs and being able to fill up a bathtub before something like this happens, uh, maybe having a couple 55-gallon drums attached outside that you catch uh, water catchment off of your roof, and uh, so you have some water there, right? All of this is nice because you can generally quickly go get it and use it, and it's a lot easier than walking, you know, a quarter or a half a mile um, to a little stream or a creek or whatever it is you may have to go to, uh, dipping some, 50, some five gallon buckets in and then carrying them back or using a wagon or whatever to run through your filter, right? So if you're not, if you don't have immediate access to some kind of water supply, having some water on hand, some water storage on hand is useful. Just realize you're gonna go through it really, really quickly. So I, I don't wanna say don't have any water storage, that's just not your long-term solution. Your longer-term solution is your water filters. So now let's talk about water filters real quick. A uh, couple of hard lessons that I learned that I'm very glad I learned when um, you know, things are good is if you use like a backpack water filter, right? Uh, the, this goes for the paper ones or the ceramic ones. It applies in both these situations. This is absolutely critical. If you use these, Okay? It could be, you know, hey, I'm going on a hike and I'm just going to test out my gear and make sure I know how it works. And here's a little stream or a river and I'm going to pump some water into my canteen and drink it. Blah, blah, blah. You could be using it that way. Sorry, got traffic I'm dealing with here. The other thing, uh, you know, or it could be a hurricane or something like that happened. You grab your pack, you start filtering water, you go your three days, five days, whatever. They get the power back on. Yay, we made it. We had fresh water the whole time. Either of those situations. When it's done, if you're not using this filter continuously, right, like every day or a couple of times a day, then you need to open that filter system up, take that filter out, do a basic clean on it, and then let it dry before you put it back together. If you do not do that, the next time you go to use it, you will be pumping nasty algae and mold right into your water. So if you leave that nasty water that you just filtered in that system for a couple weeks or a couple months, probably a couple days in reality, 
uh, but I've never used it a couple days after. When I'm using it on like hiking trips and stuff like that, I'm using it every day. We go on hunting trips, I'm using it every day. And then I come home, and when I come home, I open everything up, I wash it in the sink, and then I set it out on the counter till it completely dries, and then I put it all back together and then put it back in my pack, okay? Because I've had that happen. I've gone out, thankfully I had a spare filter in my pack, and I was I went, ah, oh, crap, ruined that whole filter. Had to basically throw it away, pulled out my new filter, put it together, was still okay, but that filter still had tons of life in it. I'd only used it for maybe 10, 20 gallons worth, and they go a couple hundred gallons, right? So, totally wasted a filter doing that, and, um, and had to start get a whole new filter, right? So it wasn't catastrophic on that particular trip, but it was something that could have been catastrophic had I only had that filter and was relying on it and needed you know, five days worth of water and had none, right? So make sure if you have these filter systems that you, number one, you test them, make sure you know how to use them, right? You may use it and go, this sucks, I want a better one. Right, I do. I would recommend that you do not scrimp on these filter systems. Get the good ones. The paper filter ones are going to run you a hundred or so dollars, hundred to one hundred and twenty-ish. And uh, I haven't looked at them in a while, but that's what they were last time I looked. The ceramic ones are like two to two fifty. Okay, the ceramic ones are really, really nice. They filter a lot more water. So price per gallon of water filtered is probably a lot lower on those than the paper ones. Um, but they are a little bit more fragile and they're heavier. So if you're trying to carry them on your back, they are heavier and they are more susceptible to freezing. So if the water, if you're in freezing temperatures, um, you have to keep it from freezing because water expands when it freezes. If there's water in your element and it freezes, it will crack your element and then basically it's useless at that point. Uh, so the paper are superior if you're in a freezing environment, um, at least if you have to use it in a freezing environment, right? Um, Usually if you have a vehicle or something like that, you have a little bit more ability to keep your filter from freezing. Uh, you don't have to keep it much above freezing, but you definitely wanna make sure it doesn't freeze, right? So have, think that through. Whether you have a pocket, whether you have something that you carry inside your jacket, you keep your filter inside your jacket so it generally stays above freezing. Uh, lots of different ways to make that happen, but it is definitely a concern. So don't keep your filters wet. Don't let your ceramic elements freeze and make sure that you dry your paper elements, uh, especially your paper elements in between usages um, if you're not gonna be using them every day because you don't wanna drink nasty stuff. All right, so hopefully that's been helpful for you. See you next time.